Hey, hey, I'm Chris Bradley, and with over 10 years of experience in the music business, I went from struggling singer-songwriter to a six-figure producer with credits including Sony, Miramax, Lincoln, Warner Chapel PM, Rolling Stone Magazine, and USA Network. And this is the Produce Like a Boss podcast, where we discuss the business, mindset, and strategies it takes to go pro as a musician and songwriter by developing and mastering the skill of music production. If you'd like to learn how to produce, please visit our website at producelikeaboss.com slash workwithme for a plethora of free resources and tutorials to help you learn how to start producing your own music today. This is the Produce Like a Boss podcast. Really quick, before we jump into the show, I just want to take a second and thank our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Slate Digital and the All Access Pass. So many people ask me what's in my tool belt and what are some of the third-party plugins that I go crazy for, and I don't skip a beat. When I say Slate Digital All Access Pass is the cat's pajamas when it comes to producer tools. Now, with this pass, you're going to get access to over $5,000 worth of pro plugins since pro demo sessions in hip-hop, rock, and EDM, and amazing step-by-step walkthroughs with pro producers, easy-to-follow tutorials, and custom samples. And not only that, a lot of their software is modeled off of vintage analog gear that gives your track that pro polish and shine. So head over to producelikeaboss.com slash slate digital and get your first six months for only $9.99 a month. Hey there, friend. Listen, before we get into the episode today, we have a new feature that I'd love to invite you to be a part of. If you visit producelikeaboss.com slash podcast, there is now an option where you can click to send me an audio file. That means you can send me a question. That means you can send me a comment and I may even select it to be live on the show. How freaking cool is that? Also, please don't hesitate to leave us a review. If you are sponging what I'm spilling over here on the P-Lab podcast, podcast, please head over to Apple iTunes and leave a five-star review. This helps us to reach more people. And of course, please send us a screenshot to support at producelikeaboss.com, letting us know you left your review and you will be entered automatically to win a one-on-one business consultation with me. This is where we can go over your music. We can go over your website, whatever you like, boo. Speaking of five-star reviews, I want to take a second and read this one from DJ Joe. It says, take it from Chris B. The Produce Like a Boss podcast is a gem chocked full of great insight and advice for beginning producers and seasoned pros alike. Well, thank you so much, DJ Joe. All right, without any further ado, let's jump into this episode, number 62, why being a jack-of-all-trades is more valuable than being an expert with Pat Flynn. Do it like a, like a, like a boss. Like a, like a boss, do it like a, like a, like a boss, like a boss. Hey, hey, I am so excited to have today's guest on the podcast. Pat Flynn is a philosopher, a generalist, a minimalist, a writer, a guitarist, and an entrepreneur. He's written a book called How to Be Better at Almost Everything, which has become not only a staple in my book collection, but also has become my number one book recommendation for any aspiring singer, songwriter, producer, as the book dives into the value of skill stacking, which is totally my jam. Welcome to the show, Pat. Chris, it is a pleasure to be here. I have to say, I'm, I'm really flattered. Thank you for those very kind words. Oh, you got it. Hey, listen, before we dive in, I just, I got to say something really quick. Reading this this book has really helped me to stop 
feeling bad about being a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much glorification that goes into, you know, being being an expert or sticking to one thing in order to achieve success. And I've always felt like that was the polar opposite of my story. And that it was actually being good at multiple things that allowed me to build a business as a singer, songwriter and music producer. So I just wanted to kick this off by saying thank you so much because I thought I was crazy up until I listened to your book. Yeah, well, so did I, which is very funny. <laughs> you know, if I can just give a little bit of background where I first sort of had this, I guess, insight, you know, I'm not I'm not a brilliant guy. I didn't sit down and just come up with everything in the book. It was mostly things that I discovered more or less by accident, just kind of by stumbling, stumbling through life. Right. But it, but it started with music. And I've been playing guitar from a very young age, and my influences were all the 80s shredder guitarists, like the, the virtuoso pyrotechnicians like Satriani and Paul Gilbert, just, just insane yeah. on the fretboard, right? Never as good as those guys, but I always wanted to be. So I would obsess, and I'd try and just get faster and faster and more precise. And then I would do like Battle of the Bands in high school. And nobody cared. (laughs) Nobody cared about how good I was on the guitar because that that scene was over. And even when it was in, I probably most high schoolers didn't care anyways. And the people who would win were the people who were, I hope this doesn't sound like too arrogant, but they were worse guitarists than I, I was. But they could also sing and they could put on a better show. And they weren't just super good at one thing. They were good overall. And I never understood that until many years later. And I was just frustrated, like being this hyper specialist in one area that might have been interesting to like a very small subset of a very small subset. And that kept me really limited for a long time. So it was it was learned through mistake. And it actually started first with making that mistake in music. So it's just kind of a nice connection with this podcast, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that that's, you know, it's so funny because when I started listening to the book, you know, and I, I, I'm saying listen because my first listen was on audio, but I actually just ordered the hard copy because I just love to have hard copies of book. But when I started listening to it, I remember when you started talking about that with the guitar, I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy, like he knows, right? Because I think a lot of... Um, musicians like we we aim to be experts and then we also make the mistake of trying to impress other musicians especially producers right so you learned quickly that you're like oh wow like nobody cares except for the experts but i think a lot of us still get stuck in that kind of ego Mm -hmm. stroking that we need from other musicians it's like producers sometimes you know i i say guys don't make music for other producers they care about stuff like gear and like sound design stuff that like your clients and your fans don't care about because that's why you don't have clients and that's why you don't have fans because you're yeah, making that, music for other experts. <laughs> that is a great point. It's trying to be like a player's player rather than a people's player. Exactly. Right? And when I look at the guitarist who really got me started with music, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge ACDC fanboy, right? So it was Angus Young. Now, in some sense, he's kind of a player's player, but like you get really into guitar people, you know, he's, he's not like considered a great virtuoso by any totally. means, right? But why do people love Angus? Well, he can jam, he can rock, but he wears a schoolboy outfit. He does the duck walk. He can entertain a crowd yeah. and he's just fun, right? He's a people's player. And most people, when they think like greatest guitarist of all time, they're more likely to think of an Angus Young, most people yeah. rather than of ACDC, rather than say, I mentioned like Joe Satriani, love him, but most people have no idea who that is. Guitarists know who he is. But most people have no have no idea who I'm talking about, right? So yeah, your point is is spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, and you know it's funny. Um, I just even you know I remember like you know doing the artist climb, you know of like you know trying to push my music and get my music out there, and having this really poor mindset several years ago, which was that, well, my music should speak for itself. Like I don't need to be good at social media or selling myself or branding or any of those other things. Yet I would sit there and get peeved when I'd see other people 
that word is quote unquote, I'm using air quotes for the podcast listeners, talented right. as me, that their music wasn't as good, but they were good at branding. They were good mm -hmm. at marketing. They were good at social media. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that nobody cared how much time I was putting into the craft as much as like me being a full package. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think I forget if I used, um, the band Kiss as an example in the book, but they've always sort of stood out to me in this way is, is I don't know a whole lot about Gene Simmons, but my understanding is he knows a lot about marketing and psychology and persuasion. And I don't know if anybody has ever uh, mistaken Kiss as the greatest musicians of all time. Maybe somebody has, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're fun, right? They're, they're fun and they can play, right? But uh, people know Kiss because they just know how to get attention, right? Or they did. They still know how to get attention. So I think that's a really good example of what you're saying. And I had that mentality when I was a musician. It, 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 I eventually broke away from it later when I, when I learned the lessons that you're talking about, where I was like such a purist, right? Right. And like, if people don't get it, then it's their fault, right? They're too dumb to understand. And that's, of course, just that itself is a really dumb mindset. It, it holds you back. It makes you arrogant. It's very restricted. And you're just never going to, you're just never going to get anywhere with that mindset. Unfortunately, I was there uh, for a long time and it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's not good. You want to get away from that, to be sure. Mm -hmm. Same, same. And I think the reason this this not only resonates with me, but the re that's such a good. I'm so glad you said that. The reason I felt that this would resonate with my audience is a lot of what I'm teaching them is how to go pro, right? You know, a lot of people think it's this like Beyonce big or big, like, or Beyonce big or broke. I got to be that expert, best singer in the world, you know, or I got nothing. I'm like, no, actually, there's lots of jobs you can do as a musician, but you need to get out of the purest. You know, oh, my art is sacred. My my songs are my babies, and everything is about me. And it's like, that's not how business works. It's about service, right? Um, so yeah. Okay. So for those who have not read the book, why is it better to be a generalist rather than an expert? Yeah. Great question. I think we've kind of danced around the answer just, just a little bit. So the, the way I see it is, in fact, the, the sort of thesis of that book, which is what you said, that most people most of the time are better off being generalists rather than specialists happened because of sort of an accidental success that I had in the fitness industry. So long story short, I'm going to college. It's not related to fitness, uh, but I got into fitness through martial arts and I started doing these things called kettlebells and I was training people in college just as a way to sort of pay bills. And I had a blog at the time where I talked about many different things like I do now. Right. Uh, but people were sort of um, attracted to the fitness side of it. So that sort of kind of grew in popularity to the point where I, I eventually got my first uh, book deal before I was out of college. And I was sort of like, somebody actually sent me an email one time and it was like, somebody could have read it as, uh, as, as insulting, but, but I actually didn't because the person was essentially asking like, Pat, how did you find success in this industry when like, you're clearly not the biggest, leanest, strongest dude around, right? And, I, and I'm not like, nobody mistakes me for a professional bodybuilder or anything like that. And it really got me thinking, like that was a really penetrating question because there's a lot of people out there who are, they're way more muscular, they're way stronger, you know, they're fitness models uh, and they're struggling. They're struggling to get ahead. And then I thought about what is it that sort of made me unique? Well, the truth is I had spent many years studying marketing. I had also spent many years studying writing. So I was a good communicator. I could communicate fitness well and do it in an interesting way. Uh, I knew things about branding. So in fact, it was, it was because I was a generalist and had skills in combination, I was able to form better creative and competitive advantages over those who just were better than me at any one thing. And once, once that sort of became obvious to me, I said, 
I need to, I need to write a book about this. Right. Cause it was, it was largely unintentional. It was, I was interested in all these different things, but I never put it together until it like sort of happened. And I sort of tried to analyze it in reverse. So, so that's the idea, right. That in today's world, it's better and easier to be different than it is to just be better at any one thing. And what generalism allows you to do is to stack different skills to form competitive and creative advantages. So that way you're not just trying to be a hardcore hyper specialist. And let's be real. Like, what are the chances that you're going to be able to compete? Right. Like for go back to guitar, like Paul Gilbert just has longer fingers than I do. I'm (laughs) never going to be able to play as fast as that guy, no matter how many hours I practice. Right. I'm never going to be able to. doesn't matter the work ethic I have and work ethic's great. You need it. Right. But you also need to be realistic. Like Michael Phelps has webbed feet. I'm never (laughs) going to beat Michael Phelps ever. Right. I can admire him, but he's he's not the model for my life. Right. And most people are not just set up to be those hardcore hyper specialists. My thesis is for most people, mm-hmm. most of the time, you're better off being a generalist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's funny, like for me, like I knew that I wanted to be a one stop shop that could like write and sing and produce and do all these things, you know, but it's like, I felt like my, like I was totally like spread thin. Right. So you talk about this thing in the book and I forgot how you say it, but you talk about how generalists are actually like part-time experts first. Cause mm-hmm. I, I think of like how this all came together over the last several years. Cause I'm not the best at any one of those things, but I would dive and hyper-focus into those things to go, you know what? I need to get really good at this. And then I need to get good at this. And then I turn around five years later and I'm like, Whoa, now I can run this production company because of all these skills. Can you talk to us about that? I sure can. Yeah. yeah. So the, the idea, the sort of approach then is like, okay, Pat, that, that sounds interesting being a generalist. How do I get there? And what I say is a generalist, ironically, is a short-term specialist, right? Short-term specialist. And, and, and the idea is just because you're a generalist doesn't mean that you can't be an expert or a master of something. So I, I, think you, I think you definitely can be in multiple areas. We just have to differentiate being an expert or a master of something and being like, like the top in the world, right? And there's obviously a great chasm between, between those. So I think mastery is easily attainable in multiple areas as a generalist, but that doesn't mean needing or even wanting to be the absolute best or even close to the best in the world, right? So the idea here is, I'll use actually sort of a fitness analogy. I think this, this helps get the point across. So say you want to be like a good fitness generalist, right? You want to You want to be lean, but you also want to have a good amount of muscle and you want to have a good amount of strength and stuff like that. Well, these goals, as we know, are often often sort of mutually competitive in the sense that where you try and push one, if you're trying to get like a lot stronger, maybe put on muscle requires more energy output, but also a lot more energy input and caloric intake and stuff like that. And then leaning out typically requires a caloric deficit. So what people, you know, coaches in the fitness industry understand is you're, you're better off kind of cycling your, your goals and your pursuits at a time, right? You kind of have a, a sort of limited focus, you know, on a particular phase. Okay, well, we're going to focus on just like leaning out and improving our body composition and get the diet really tight. And we're still going to do, you know, resistance training or this or that, but we just kind of short-term specialize here and we just try to maintain everything else. So I talk about this idea of surging and maintaining. You have a surging focus really trying to improve at just like one or two areas at a time for some amount of time, you know, that could be however long, depending on what the skill is. And then you just try to kind of like maintain everything else. You know, you don't let it go completely, but it's not your primary concern. Then you get that area up to where you want it to be. You know, say it's just, again, use fitness. Maybe it's a certain level of uh, body composition, a certain percentage. And you say, okay, good. I'm happy with that. That's where that needs to be. Let me now shift my focus 
now I want to uh, get get stronger. So I'm going to start, you know, focusing on a particular lift. And I'm still going to try and like maintain where I where I was before with that other area. But now I'm going to start surging in a new direction and building that skill up here as well. And that that I think once you kind of understand how that that works in fitness, you can kind of you know um, you know kind of blow it up into the into a larger scale. So for me, throughout my life, you know, I had different times, often long periods of time, really focusing on particular areas and particular skills. You know, I had times in life where I really did focus on marketing and branding and copywriting. And of course, I still practiced other things. I still practiced guitar and I still practiced, you know, everything else I was interested in, but it kind of went down in priority and the amount of like intensity or time I, I would, I would practice it. And you have to be okay with that because you can't do all things at once. You'll burn yourself out. Your efforts will be diluted. So you really have to be okay with just focusing on one, maybe two major things at a time, kind of going all in on that, right? Being a short-term specialist, maintaining everything else. And then when you get it to where it needs to be, and maybe maybe it doesn't need to be that great, right? This is, it might vary depending on the skill, right? right. Sometimes, sometimes a little bit goes a long way, right? On some skills. So it you know, whatever it is, then you say, okay, like this is, this is good. I've got that where it needs to be. I can now switch my focus and start to develop some other aspect, right? Okay. Worked on writing and copywriting and, and, pers and persuasion for a while. Now let me work on my skills as a communicator on the podcast or something like that. Or let me, let me uh, focus on, I don't know, um, for guitar is another good example, right? Well, let me focus on sweep picking now for the next three months, right? I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to dedicate my entire life to it. And then I'll focus on, you know, alternate picking and, and then, you know, some jazz licks or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a general idea. It's not hyper-specific, but a good generalist does have to learn to be a short-term specialist. If you try to do everything at once, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to burn out. You're going to fail. Um, the other one thing I'll say about this, and this is kind of a psychological block for people, I think it's really important, is that when you make those shifts in life, when you kind of switch your focus or emphasis, you also have to be okay with skills falling down a little mm -hmm. bit. And this is something that really bothers people. It bothered me for a while when I first started kind of like shifting away from guitar to focus on other things. And then I would go back to guitar. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just not quite as fast as I was three months ago. That's kind of a painful thing, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but that's life. And that's okay because I know if I just work hard for three months, I can get my speed back up where I need it to be, which honestly, it, it never really needs to be that high anyways, right? For most of the stuff I'm doing. Right. So the idea is you, you have maintenance for all the things you care about, but you have to just be realistic and understand and give yourself some kind of wiggle room and understand that things will kind of drop off a little bit. But the good news is that a skill is always easier to maintain and bring back right. than it was to gain in the first place. Right. You're never um, starting at zero. So even if your chops go down a little bit, like a little bit, like you just get back into the flow, you know, practice a little bit. It's going to come back much quicker than if you were starting from, from nothing. Right. Spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said about how you just, you can do so many things, but you can't do them all at once, you know? And, you know, I, I, like I said, I fancy myself a jack of trades. And when I talk to people about it, they're like, how do you do all these things? And I, and it's exactly what, what you're talking about. I'm like, you know, like um, even down to like when I'm batching my work week out, like I don't try to do all these different things at once that would put me into context switching, for example. So yep. once I've gotten a few skills mastered, now it's like I spend days where I'm like, okay, today is just working on marketing and on my business. And then there's mm -hmm. a difference of working in my business where I'm like, hey, I'm working with clients today. I'm going to produce songs and I'm going to track vocals and all of that, you know? 
Um, I, I always say to to my students as well, you know, it's, it's yeah, that would be very stressful. Could you imagine trying to learn like Japanese and French and Spanish and Chinese, like all at once? No, but there's plenty of people that that know multiple languages. And, and I assume I'm going to assume that that's they've taken the same approach, right? They're like, I'm going to learn this first, you know, and then and then come back to it. Yeah. And some skills do carry over to some extent to other skills, you know, like learning your first instrument is the most difficult and learning the guitar doesn't automatically transfer to other instruments, but you get certain fundamentals and basics that make kind of like that next acquirement of the, of a similar skill that much easier. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's worth paying attention to. Of course, it's not completely general, but uh, I have, I have a friend that speaks 13 languages 13 fluently. It's actually pretty incredible. And he's a musician, a touring Damn. musician. And he's an astrophysicist, a PhD what? in astrophysics, right? Okay. Yeah, dude's crazy. His That's band's crazy. called his band's called Nanowar of Steel over in Europe. So check them out. They're like a parody metal band, really popular over there. So they're bassists. My friend Eduardo speaks 13 languages, astrophysicist, and uh the bassist for this band. Just an incredible human. But yeah, he says the same. I mean, everything that I would say he would he would echo about how he how he acquired those skills, yeah, including the languages. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So so what are your thoughts on the 10,000 hour rule as it applies to this? Because I think a lot of people would, would hear that and go, but wait, I'm trying to learn all these things. Like 10,000 hours is a long time. What is that, like 10 years or something? Of like yeah, full time work. So it's like obviously we don't have a lifetime to skill stack if we're applying that rule. What are, what are your thoughts on the ten thousand hour rule? Yeah, I mean, I, there, there's things I like about it and things I don't. I think the things I like about it is just there's, as you know, Chris, there's so much kind of bogus nonsense out there about success in general, right? Shortcuts and hacks and sure. this or that, and. Um, yeah, I don't like that. I mean, if you want to get good at something, you do have to work hard. So that's that's kind of what I like about the 10,000 hour rules. It's just like, look, you want to get great at something? You got to you got to rope your sleeves. You got to do the work. You got to put in the time. You got to pay your dues. Right. I think that's the right mindset. The, the, where I um, kind of deviate from a little bit is not just maybe the arbitrariness of the number. I know people have challenged that, but I don't think that you need to have like a supreme um, sort of mastery over every skill. And this goes back to us saying like a little bit goes a long way. So for example, I spent a fair amount of time learning copywriting. I am far from the best copywriter in the world, but the, but the copywriting skills I have um, and the sort of, I would say fairly minimal amount of time I spent studying copywriting practicing it have gone a really long way. So I've definitely not put anything close to 10,000 hours into copywriting. I don't know how many hours I put into it, but it's not that. But the the sort of little bit I have, I don't know, maybe a thousand hours, something like that, right? Yeah. The little bit I have has gone a really long way. And when most people have zero hours in a skill like that, even having, I don't know, 20 hours or 500 hours is sometimes might be enough, right? So I have this kind of other rule in my book. I call it sort of the rule of 80%. And it's not the 80-20 rule which is Pareto's principle. The 80-20 rule says that you know 80% of your gains will come from 20% of your efforts. That's a fine rule. I think there's a lot to be said for that. The rule of 80% says this, right? I, I say that if 100% is sort of best in the world, right? Probably for any skill, you never need to go above 80%, whatever that is, right? And like for most people, that's still going to be ridiculously competent, even 80%. I mean, just think yeah. about like, 100% in like the realm of deadlifting uh, a barbell, like that's an enormous amount of weight. I don't even know what it is. And even 80% of that would still be a ridiculous amount of weight. So most people like to be relatively strong and 
you know, uh, I guess healthier, fitter than most people. It's probably more only like 20%, right? <laughs> um, so that's definitely not 10,000. That's definitely not 10,000 hours. So I guess that's how I would qualify it. I like the idea of understanding that even as a generalist, there's still work to do. Work ethic yeah. is good, right? There's no quick and easy fix to any, you know, acquiring any skill, right? You need a process, you need a method, you need discipline, you need practice time. Great. But not every skill needs to be developed to the maximum degree. And the part of being a good generalist is learning how to prioritize and understand, okay, what skills are most important or most fundamental, right? What are the ones that are going to like take me the furthest? And like, how far do I actually need to go in these skills? And being able to say, yeah, here's, here's enough. Actually, enough is enough. So, I mean, going back to guitar, like I went way beyond what I actually needed for what I wanted to do. And all the hours that I spent sweep picking, a skill that nobody cares about except for other guitarists, right. was just was like, you know, like I definitely, I definitely have 10,000 hours of guitar. That one I can be very confident about, right? But I didn't need it. <laughs> I just did it. I just didn't, right? Or it could have been, it could have been better spent. So it's kind of a rambly response to your very good question. I'm not. So no, you can it's, tell it's me if so. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like firing on like my my brain's like yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Um, same, same. Just so many like ahas and and parallels with with what you're saying. And it's mm -hmm. like you know, I even I tell my students as well because you know I've been doing music professionally for the last several years as both a singer and a producer and a songwriter. And the thing is. I'm not the best, like my range is so like nothing compared to like professionally trained, you know, uh, singers. Like I don't sound like a lot of people. I kind of have this, like, I kind of say, you know, I'd rather be an orange in a barrel of apples than another shiny apple. I'm just different. So yeah. I've kind of carved out a niche um, just tight enough for me to fit into it, which has opened up a lot of doors, which is awesome. But mm -hmm. I'm not the best at any one of those things. And to go back to what you were saying, it's like, even if like for you were saying with copywriting, you're not like the best copywriter, but you put enough time into it. There's like this compound effect or this stacking effect that happens when you put it together with another skill where it's more powerful than if you had just gotten that good at that skill by itself, right? Like if you just dabbled in copywriting, but you didn't work in marketing or sales, like what would that do for you? That 30 mm -hmm. or 50% that you're at, right? But you add that to the fact that you're, a, you know, an author and, you know, and a, and a trainer and a musician. It's like, well, now you've got the ability to communicate with an audience, right? So there's more power in that um, little bit of percentage of, of expert that we have when we couple it with the other skills. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. And, you know, I have, have a, a long love and, and history and writing as well. And I think having that background in writing kind of boosted what I practice in copywriting. Now, at first, sure. there's kind of like a, an interesting tension because a lot of the rules of copywriting ask you to break, break a lot of the rules totally. of writing. Right. <laughs> totally. So you kind of like have to deal with that and it makes you kind of gyrate sometimes, but you, you deal with it. But Again, that's it's what you're talking about, the stacking of those two skills. Because sometimes you have people that are, are decent copywriters, but they're really bad writers and that hurts them, right? Other times you have people who are great writers, but know nothing about copywriting. So the writing just kind of falls flat from a marketing perspective. Sure. My goal was always to be at least generally good at both. And if that's the case, it's going to have this sort of, yeah, force multiplying effect. And if I force just focus, yeah. yeah, if I just focus on just one and not, and not the other, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is such good stuff. I'm so excited to be sitting with you talking about this today. What is, um, what is your most effective way to beat procrastination? I know procrastination is just something everyone struggles with, you know, and it's really just, it's that perfectionism is a lot of it too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This is a really, really good question. Um, and my, my most honest answer is, is passion, just doing the things that you really, really love and care about. And I'll be honest, if I don't care about something, I have as hard a time getting myself to do it. You'll notice yes. that the skills I've listed, you know, they're not every skill. 
They're, yeah. they're all things that I actually really love and am passionate about. Like I love writing. I love music. I love philosophy, which is more of my formal academic background. Um, I actually love marketing and business. I do. Yeah. And, and some of those things I didn't love at first, like marketing was one of those things where I just kind of saw it. This, this is kind of a good example. I kind of saw it as something that I needed to get good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once I did and I saw that there's this, there's this kind of science to it. Yeah, that just like really intrigued me and got me passionate about it and wanting to learn more. So the first thing I would say is like, you know, passion helps. It goes a long way. But then, of course, there's going to be times when uh, the passion just isn't there. So I think you just need to be mature and you have to do, you know, some of the cliches here are good. You have to do the important things first and you have to distinguish between things that are important and things that are urgent. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of urgent things in my life. My email inbox is telling me about it every five seconds. Right. (laughs) But it's not that important. The important things are what are going to really move me from A to B in the most significant way. So the way I just structure my day is having good priority on what is the most important thing for the for the outcomes that I care about and making sure that I do those as early as possible. Because for me, I'm, I'm actually a morning person. I have my best energy and attention in the morning. So whatever is the most important thing, I just get that done first. And, and that's, that, that has always been the sort of little practical cliche that has always worked really well for me. Because I'll be honest, if I don't do it right away, I'm probably not going to do it at all. Right. So I would say passion and priority, put it first if it's important and know the difference between important things and urgent things. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's amazing how much less motivation you need when you're following what lights you up and you're actually doing what you're passionate about. Like when people tell me they struggle with procrastination, I'm like, I totally get it. But as it applies to, it's like the thing that you're really lit up about. I think that's just gotta be like a flip of like how you're looking at it. Right. Like for example, I catch myself doing it because I do, you know, I do music professionally and sometimes Mm -hmm. like, man, I gotta, I gotta track these vocals today. And I catch myself. No, I get to track these vocals today and not get up and go to a nine to five, right. And not get up and go sling drinks at a bar. (laughs) Not go go and sit in a smoky bar and sing for four hours straight for 200 bucks. You know, if I'm lucky for peanuts, like, no, I get to. Hey, hey, I just wanted to take a quick second to tell you about a very special event that we have coming up. If you're still on the fence about learning how to produce your music or heck, if you've been trying to produce your music, but you're still hitting a wall, I want to invite you to join us for a three day live challenge called the Songwriter's Guide to Producing the Simple Way. The challenge starts November 9th, and I'm going to be going live for three days straight every day at 4 p.m. PT, teaching you everything from the mindset of a pro producer to how to build your first home studio to how to produce your first song. And I'm even going to show you how you can earn a little extra cash recording the skill you're already good at. So if you're a good singer, a songwriter, or an instrumentalist, you can make money by simply learning how to record even before you go pro as a producer. I think we can all agree working from home is no longer a luxury, it's a necessity. So if you're ready to learn how to produce your own music, just head over to www.producelikeaboss.com slash the number three day challenge. I'll drop a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. No, I get to. It's like, you know, even, oh man, I got to do my social media. Oh, so annoying. It's like, what, where did that come from? I get to show up and like create valuable content and, and post on social media for free, by the way, which mm-hmm. used to cost money to even reach an audience, right? So just switching that perspective, it's like no motivations needed when you're driven by your passion. So I love that you said that's, that. That's a beautiful insight. And I think, uh, the yes, you're right. Like try and ha- like shift the perspective where, where necessary. And it really is necessary, right? Like, this is really cool what I get to do every day. And like, sometimes I catch myself thinking like, oh, I'm got to do this again. But like, Pat, have a sense of perspective, right? Like, <laughs> seriously, like, like grow up guy. I, I do tell myself that a lot. And um, the other thing is like, some things are just kind of, they can, 
they can, you can at least see that they're exciting by extension, right? So like, you know, marketing was something that, okay, maybe people weren't that excited um, in and of itself or even by the science of it. But I mean, imagine what it will do for you. You are excited to play in front of an audience and reach people, right? Yeah. Well, marketing is, is what's going to help you do that. And that should be inherently exciting. Now, I don't know any other languages. So I'll be honest, I thought about learning another language, but I couldn't find a way to get a perspective or yeah. an extension on that. So I just speak English and that's it, <laughs> right? And it's just the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But there's, but there, there, there's, you know, if there's enough things, right, I think that can be uh, acquired by a generalist that you can have success with. There's enough of those things that I, I, I just can't imagine that whoever you are, you wouldn't be inspired by at least enough of those. You know what I mean? Even if yeah. you're not inspired by all of those, right? 100%. Mm-hmm. And and I love that you just brought it back around to 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 marketing and, and business essentially, you know, because I know, you know, in my world, a lot of musicians like, you know, the it's it's very hard to measure success if you're if you're just thinking in terms of like you know I'm either Beyonce big or I'm broke right but for a lot of people like what determines success for them is can I make a living with my music like do yeah. I not have to get up and work a day job do I not need a side hustle because music is my front hustle mm-hmm. right and and in order to do that it's like well yeah you don't get to just show up and make music anymore though because now you're asking to be a pro like it's like the musician is the only entrepreneur that doesn't know they're an entrepreneur because mm-hmm. they want to make money with their music which essentially says I'm in business but they're they're like forget about all the business stuff. So I love that you mentioned, it's like, you have to fall in love the same way you're passionate about your music, you're passionate about writing and creating, fall in love with sharing that with other people. That's your marketing, right? There's your messaging, but also fall in love with like all the stuff that it takes to make that happen. You know, like if you don't have a label, you've got to be able to wear all those hats. And that's where the mm-hmm. skill stacking really comes in. But if you look at it, instead of looking at it, like this comes to the perspective thing as, Oh, I've got to do all these things. It's like, no, I get to do all these things that we mm. couldn't do 10 years ago. Like if you could, if you didn't um, have a label, you couldn't distribute music. There was no TuneCore or CD Baby or DistroKid, right? Um, there, if 15 years ago, if you wanted to make a record, you had to pay a professional mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a big studio a lot of money. And now you can make a song on a laptop, right? So just getting passionate about being able to stack up those skills. I can do this is a huge part of it. I love what you say. And I think one of the themes I want to draw out of that is a, a generalist, right? What's, what's cool about it? Well, you can, have, you can have such significant independence. And one of the biggest sort of, I guess, marketing pieces that I read, it's been a while since, I, since I've read it, but I, I was, if I remember rightly, it was related to music. It's a pretty well-known piece called 1000 True Fans. Have you read mm-hmm. this one? Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is like, look, realistically, if you just want to be successful and creative, you just like, only need 1000 true fans and the idea which which seems very realistic and it is and the idea is if you have 1000 true fans that will just reasonably buy the sorts of stuff that you might put out as a musician you know re- you release new merch every so often and CDs every so often or whatever that's a six figure business yeah. right at the end of the day and that i remember reading that and just having like a big aha moment at that because it actually reflected kind of how i had been doing most of my business i'm not the most popular guy in the world but i've got my base of what we might call raving fans that i know if i put you know if i put some things out every single month they're going to be right there ready to buy it and excited to buy it and this gives me um a great degree of autonomy. I can create the things I want to create because I am, you know, my own boss. And I, I, uh, you know, 
I don't like, I, ha- I have books and stuff with traditional publishers, but you know, that's independent of my business. In fact, that feeds my business in, in many ways. So I can create what I want. Uh, I have flexibility, you know, I don't have to answer to anybody. And I guess that's the, yeah, that's what I got out of what you were saying is like a good generalist, since you're not, I guess, beholden to these, to these overlords of record companies, or whatever, right. There's yeah. great autonomy there. And I think I think that's something that should get you excited. You should be, right. you know, be passionate to like acquire these skills so that can be the case. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and and it really is just like a pers- like shifting that perspective into that because it can be so overwhelming in my heart. Like I feel, you know, I can feel the the stress and the overwhelm in a lot of the musicians in my community because they're like, there's so much to do, and it can feel really heavy. You know, and it's like, especially when you don't have the team and things that would normally be handled by a label if you were a major artist um, aren't there. But, you know, like we were just saying, it's like you get to do this. It used to be no label, no nothing. There's no way to reach people. There's no way to record it. So it's like, you know, you can look at it, you know, the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. We have more power now at our fingertips than we've ever had before. It's, it's incredible. And I mean, I'll give you an example and you can tell me how terrible of a process this is because you know way more (laughs) about production than I do, but. For all my music, which people can check out on my very unpopular SoundCloud account, um, you know, I so I, for example, I run my own business. You know, I have I have four children and lots of stuff going on. But music has always been my love. I'm never going to give it up. So what I do is I just put on the click track and I rock out on the guitar, and then I contact freelancers and they fill in the rest. And then I have this, this, this product that would have been otherwise impossible to do 15, 20 years ago, right? For where I am in life. And so that's just like, and it's really cool. And I've established these connections with other musicians that we collaborate and like, we never even met each other. We're just all in our own basements putting stuff together. And then, you know, the, 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 the internet making this possible and the ability to just collaborate with other people or hire freelancers for many different roles. And this is the other thing about being a generalist that I want to emphasize, right? Even though you should have a sort of broad degree of competency across many different things, it doesn't actually mean you have to do every single one of those things, right? So as you grow, you will and should outsource different tasks. So I have many people now who work for me in different roles, a lot of freelancers, uh, you know, like in marketing capacities and design and stuff like that. But since I have competency in those, I can like tell when somebody's doing a bad job or not. Right. right. So as a generalist, you don't have to do, you know, everything. And at some point I think you shouldn't do everything, but having the skills that you could do, it will help you to make sure that you're getting the best help. So you're not being like taken advantage of. And I think this is really important, right? Because <laughs> if you don't know anything about marketing and copywriting, there's a million people out there selling all this stuff. A oh, lot yeah. of it's bogus, total right. bogus. And you're more likely to be taken in if you just are, if you know nothing about it. So if you have the skills there, it doesn't mean that you always have to use the skills. Those skills can be useful in determining who you're going to delegate those skills to. Yeah, absolutely. They make you a better delegate, better delegator. So I won't delegate an, anything until I've learned how to do it myself because I've right. done that before where I think I can just throw money at a problem and go, okay, let's just have someone do this. And then I realized that like if I had just learned that just enough to be able to delegate it better, it would have been done closer to to my vision, right? Right, because you because you would have been able to tell that person is a hack, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, I love that you brought that up because I, you know, that's one of the things we talk about in one of my courses as well. It's like learning all the things, right? And at a certain point, um, you're when you're first getting started, you you probably don't have the funds to outsource, but it does get to a point where you're starting to get all your ducks in a row, where you're now ready to go. Okay, what's my time worth? 
And how can I bring in somebody else in their zone of genius to contribute to this, but also be able to oversee that, especially as a producer. A lot of people get, you know, being a producer confused with like, I can make a beat on my computer. And it's like, well, actually the traditional role of of a producer is a visionary that can oversee an entire project. So like you just said, you know, you, you're laying down, um, guitar to a click track and then telling other musicians how to put together an instrumental record for you, um, by by outsourcing to, to them, you're still producing that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, you're still guiding the process. You didn't have to play all that, right? So I, I love that you brought that up because that's it. Just makes you a better delegator and manager to know just enough to be able to direct direct people. Right, and I'm just dangerous enough on other instruments. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? To 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 know you know the the people to hire for those roles. Uh-huh. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, gosh, this has been so uh, incredible. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience that we didn't cover today? Yeah, we covered a lot of really good stuff, and this is this has been fascinating. And you're you're bringing up a, a ton of points that that have just sort of re inspired me and gotten me really excited about this. Yeah, I would just say, look, um, it's it's worse. It's <laughs> it's terrible starting out. I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like it's it's <laughs> overwhelming. I remember being there. It's confusing. It's noisy. Industries are noisy, um, but be patient. You know, do good work. And kind of the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll emphasize is this kind of understand those sort of critical meta skills that are important on top of your base skill. So whatever your base skill is, you're a musician, you have your base skills that are just relevant to being a musician, right? What are the other relevant skills that you should learn to, to stack on top of that? Some are obviously more useful than others. I think we talked about at least a couple like writing and copywriting. Those are two skills where if you can just go a little bit further and where you are now are going to make a big difference. And even in there, I'll, I'll, I'll just add persuasion, right? Elements of persuasion. Lots of great, easy books on that. I mean, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a classic text on that. I mean, or you can go like way back and read like Aristotle's rhetoric. So those would be three skills where if you're going to spend your time on something else, those are like, again, just improving even marginally there is going to make a big difference in your business. So that's the last thing I would, I would leave people with. It's, it's overwhelming, but there's really only probably, and I outlined this in the book, you know, maybe around like five or so, what I call like meta skills that if yeah. you can just focus on these, um, they're going to make a big difference in your life as a generalist. So it can be intimidating at first, but we can focus in and we can just take it, you know, bird by bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and, and communication being like a big, big one of those meta skills, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to add one little thing to that before I let you go, which totally. is, yeah. you know, and I, I've talked to my students about this as well, where there have been, I'm on several online platforms as a freelance, you know, producer and, mm-hmm. you know, jobs get posted and sent out to multiple people that then bid on the job and, you know, the best person gets the job. And I can say safely that I've probably gotten a good chunk of those jobs, not because I was the best producer per se, but because of my communication skills and the way that I showed up in my correspondence through email, which it's like, that's kind of nerdy, right? It's like, you don't think when you become a music producer, like, wow, I really need to sharpen my correspondence and customer service. Like you're not thinking that, but it, that's that little skill that like, you know, if, if that was my specialty, I'd be awful at it. But you couple that with the fact that I'm a producer and most producers don't take the time to learn that, that gave me a competitive edge. I, I mean, you're, you're spot on, right? So I hire a number of freelancers and I'll, I'll be honest, like sometimes what makes a difference for me are the ones that just know good copywriting, have good design, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you know, that's, that's what copywriting is, right? It's, it's understanding the methods of persuasion. It's selling in print. That's what copywriting is, right? Yeah. So like in a very noisy industry, just having that one 
edge, right? That one extra skill is what can often make just all the difference, right? So yeah, spot on. Love it. 100%. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I, uh, I absolutely can't shut up about your book. It's recommended reading for my students. I'm sharing it with my audience. And so it's just been such an honor to speak with you today. Well, thank you, Chris. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Where can people find you on the, the interwebs? Sure. My primary website would be the best spot. That's chroniclesofstrength.com. And like I said, there's all sorts of stuff on there. My, my, you can link to my podcasts and my blogs. And yeah, it's, it's a very generalist website. I also have a, a podcast, which is just the very humbly and originally named Pat Flynn Show. So okay. you can check that out if they're interested. Yep. I will drop links for that in the, in the show notes. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Pat. All right. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. I got to say it was just mind blowing to sit down and have a conversation with Pat Flynn. I absolutely loved reading this book and I'm going to drop a link for it in the description below. It's called How to Be Better at Almost Everything. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a jack of all trades or you're multi-passionate, especially if you're feeling guilty about it, you got to read this book. It's a game changer. Anyways, as always, I'm going to take us out with a song that I produced. This one's called The Morning Song and the artist is Desiree Jones. Sunshine, let's open up the blinds and greet the day. What do you say? I've got an idea. I'd like to try here. Let's stay in bed, wrestle instead. And I wanna try you on for size. So let's take it slow We don't have anything to do No one to answer to It's just me I want you to stay What do you say? So let's take it slow